Good morning, Citygate Church and all of our online guests. Here we are on week number nine on this series of Living for a Cause Through the Life of Elisha. And um, last Sunday, we found out that more are those who are with us than those who are with our enemy. And we're surrounded by the chariots of fire. Absolutely brilliant. But today, we're going to go on to one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. And I just can't help this. I am going to get so excited about this today because um, I'm actually going to split this over two Sundays. And this first Sunday, I want to talk about the God of the turnaround. And I know I've used that expression so many times because our God is the God of the turnaround. God will take your situation and turn it around in the most amazing ways. Never underestimate what God can do. So we're going to find out here from, um, we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And we're going to read again quite a, a, a large portion of scripture. Um, and we're going to begin in verse 24. It says, And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he gathered all his army, and I could say gathered all his army again, because he kept doing this, and he, and he goes up and he besieges Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of uh, silver and a fourth of a cab of dove's dung for five sh uh, shekels of silver. Things got really bad. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, there's this person, she cries out, help, oh my Lord, oh my king. And he said, if the Lord doesn't help you, where on earth can I find help for you? You know, from the threshing floor, from the wine press, I can't do anything. And the king said to her, so what's wrong? Can you tell me what's troubling you? And she answered and she said, I was speaking to this other lady, I'm going to paraphrase this a bit. And she said, come on, let's eat your son and then we'll eat my son tomorrow. And so we ate my son and now she doesn't want to kill her son uh, to eat her son for food. This is horrendous. You can't imagine how bad things have got that people were starting to eat their own flesh and blood. It's just crazy. So we bored my son, verse 29, we ate him. And it says, now it happened in verse 30, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he tore his clothes and as he passed, by on the wall all the people looked and underneath his clothes he had sackcloth on his body and he said almighty God do so much more and more also if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat remains on him today it says Elisha was sitting in the house the elders were around him the king sent a man ahead of him but before he came to him Elisha said to the elders do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head you see Elisha had his ears open he knew what was going on before he even heard anybody say it and it says um, here comes the messenger he said when he comes close the door hold him fast at the door is not the sound of the king's feet behind him and all the time he was uh, speaking there, it says, in comes the messenger. And, um, and then the king says, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So Elisha says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, one seer of fine flour shall be sold for just a, sh a shekel and uh, two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and he said, look, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, could this thing be? 
And Elisha says, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Now we're going to go down to verse 12. A whole lot happens in between this where God does something absolutely fantastic to bring Samaria out of the siege and back into abundance, which is fantastic. We'll cover that um, next Sunday. But here um, it's, it's told to the king that there's been this incredible breakthrough. And in verse 12 it says, so the king arose in the night, said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Syrians have done. They know we're hungry, therefore they've gone out of the camp. They've hidden themselves in the field saying when they come out of the city, we'll catch them alive and we'll get into the city. And the servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses that are in the city. Look there, may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are um, in, in Samaria, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left for those who are consumed, so let us send them and see. Therefore, they took the two chariots with horses. The king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed, all the road was full of garments and their armor, and the Syrians had thrown them away in their haste as they were escaping there. And so they come and they tell the king, verse 16, then the people went out and they plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seer of fine flour was sold for one shekel and two seers of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him at the gate as they were going to get all this food and all this stuff. And he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, two seers of barley for a shekel, a seer of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a, a thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him at the gate, and he died. Wow, that's a long passage of Scripture and a lot going on there. But um, today I want to talk about this incredible turnaround that happened. Um, as I say, there's this central section, which we're not going to cover this week, about these four guys who absolutely brought the breakthrough. But there's so many other things here that we need to understand. There's so many other things that are keys for us when we face the impossible, when we face a siege in our own lives, when it seems like the enemies surround us, you know, when it seems like the enemy's got the upper hand, when it seems like there's no way out, when it seems like all hope is lost, when it seems like there's no answer, when it seems like God's gone, when it seems like God's word isn't coming to pass, whatever it is in, in your situation, God is the God of the turnaround. And I'm going to encourage you today, I'm getting so excited about this, to believe God and to expect God to do the impossible. So let's just go through some of these keys, shall we? Or some of these points from this story, um, from this account. So the first thing is this, the enemy never plays fair. The enemy never plays fair. The enemy wants to steal, 
kill and destroy. He's cunning. He's sneaky. He doesn't play fair. Um, he says he'll do this, then he does that. He's a liar. You know what? You cannot in any way trust your enemy. Uh, now, of course, our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is the enemy of our soul, which the Bible says is the devil. And um, I just want to be really clear here today. You know what? That there is a devil and there is a personal devil. I don't mean we all have one personally, but he's a, he isn't just a force. He is a real fallen angel and he is set against the things of God. And if you want to live for God, he is set against your life. He wants to besiege your life. He wants to starve out your joy. He wants to starve out your abundance. He wants to starve out your healing. He wants to starve out your healthy family. He wants to starve your life so you feel like you're besieged and there's no way out. You know what? His greatest... Um, Activity is to deceive people. If he can get you to believe that there's no way out, then you're going to stay in the siege without anything ever changing. And that really is the heart of this story here. The enemy had besieged Samaria. You know, sometimes it's easy to think if we ignore something, it'll just go away. If we ignore it, it'll just go away. If we put it in the bottom drawer, we'll never have to deal with it. If we don't, you know, answer the phone or, you know, if we don't call that person, then perhaps the situation will go away. Can I just say the enemy will never give up? Um, he won't ever just stop. He won't ever just give up and say, well, I'm not doing that anymore. He will keep on and on and on until either he wins or until he is dealt with. And this account here is a fantastic passage about how to deal with the enemy. But I just want to remind us, the devil doesn't play fair. Your enemy doesn't play fair. And there needs to be something that happens on the inside of us that says enough is enough. We are going to deal with this. We're going to get out of this situation. No longer am I going to give the enemy a foothold in my life. Your enemy will keep pushing. He'll keep on the pressure on that thing until you conquer that thing. He'll keep the pressure on that situation until you get God's word for that situation. He doesn't play fair. He's not nice. He's unkind. He's evil, if we can use that word. He is set against your life. But the good news is that if God is for us, who can be against us? But we'll get onto that in just a few minutes' time. The second point is this. It's really important to learn from the past. It's really important to learn from the past. Now, even though this exact situation hadn't happened before, there are still the same sorts of principles. There was a, a situation here that um, it had got so bad that they were starving and they were even, you know, eating their children. I mean, this is, this is just horrific. It's always the children that suffer when a nation's going through something. And as a church here in Citygate, we are absolutely committed to raising up strong young people in God from the, you know, from the, the time they can toddle and talk. You know what? We want to be investing God into people's lives. Why? Because if you can get the children on fire for God, you're going to have a move of God through the generation. So, you know, time and time again, we find in the Bible how the devil wants to wipe out the kids. And here, things had got so bad. Now, even though that hadn't happened before, there were certain things that are just the principles. This guy, the king of Syria, was 
always on against Israel. He'd come and attack. We've just read the account just last Sunday about they all come and surround Elisha and then, you know, Almighty God moves and he, you know, um, he takes away their sight for a season and Elisha, out of compassion, he takes them back, um, he feeds them in Israel and then he sends them home again. You know what? He did the right thing. Um, he acted in love and he acted in compassion to the people. But the enemy is a nasty enemy. You know what? He will keep coming back. He will keep on that thing. And I've already said this, but he will keep on it until we deal with him. And it's really important that we learn from the past. And here's the king of Israel. And it's as if he doesn't learn from the past. It's as if, you know what? He doesn't learn from what's happened before. His reaction here, when everything went wrong, is this, to tear his clothes. It's as if, ah, I can't do this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where it's like, I just can't do this anymore. I know I've been there a few times. It's like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't keep fighting this battle. It's like, no, I've been doing this too long. I can't do this anymore. And there are some default positions on the inside of us. And it's really important to identify those default positions. What do we keep doing when the pressure is on? It can be something really practical. Perhaps when the pressure is on, you binge eat. I don't know. Perhaps when the pressure is on, you stop praying. Perhaps when the pressure is on, you don't go to church on a Sunday. Perhaps when the pressure is on, you have a go at your spouse. Perhaps when the pressure is on, you have a go at your kids. What's the default position in your life that you seem to return to? Like the king of Israel here, he just fell apart. Every time there was a problem, he fell apart. Every time there was a problem, he actually blamed Elisha. He said, it's Elisha's fault. Um, you know, I'll get onto that in just a minute. But, but he didn't learn from the last time he tore his clothes. The last time Elisha said, why are you tearing your clothes, king? That's not going to answer anything. There's a God in Israel and there's a prophet in Israel. Stop tearing your clothes. Stop falling apart. Stop despairing when you get some bad news. This was more than bad news. This was horrific what was going on. But how we respond in the little things is going to be how we respond in the big things. And it's important that even... You know, just those small things that are traits in our lives, perhaps when the pressure's on or the bad news is there or there's bad news coming over the TV or something doesn't happen the way you want, how do you react? And the king of Israel here didn't learn from the past. He didn't learn that the last time he tore his clothes, it didn't help. It's important to learn, you know, that just because we put things in the bottom drawer, it doesn't help. It's important to learn that, you know, if we crack under pressure and we just have an argument with somebody, it doesn't help. It's really important to learn from the past. Identify the situation and bring that to God and let the grace of God and the power of God work on your soul. The Bible says we can take captive every thought. The Bible says we submit our will to God. We control our emotions. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and we stir something up on the inside. There's this fight between our heart and our emotions and our flesh. It's really important that you win that battle, that your heart comes out 
absolutely victorious over your feelings, over the tearing of the clothes, or whatever is the reaction that you experience when things go wrong. Point number three um, is this. God is never the problem. I've already said the king here, he blamed Elisha. But he actually went further this time. He said, if God's not going to do anything, I can't do anything. If God's not going to do anything, I can't do anything. And if God's not here, I'm not going to wait for God anymore. He had got to the place where he was now taking his eyes off of God. Can I just say God is never your problem? The church is never the problem. The realm of the Spirit and the good things of God in the realm of the Spirit are never the problem. The principles of God and the principles of the kingdom are never the problem. God is always the answer in every situation. Who do you turn to when things go wrong? You know, how do you react when your um, situation is besieged? Don't go to God and have a go at God. Why don't you do something? You don't care. I prayed and it didn't work. Come on, no. We turn to God with a heart full of faith. And unlike this king who got it completely wrong, he started to blame God. And then he said, I'm going to take the head off Elisha. He was actually trying to destroy the very thing that could bring the breakthrough. And sometimes people do that in their lives. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't understand all of these things. But I've seen a lot over 30 years of, of you know, I'm serving in the body of Christ um, and seeing lives transformed or seeing lives fall apart. And it's as if sometimes we get into a self-destructive mode. It's as if the very thing that could be the answer, we start to punish and you know what? There's grace for this. God can turn that around. And I don't know, perhaps you're listening today. Perhaps you're here online. And perhaps there is something of a self-destructive nature. You know, the very thing that could be the answer you want to punish, you want to destroy. I want to say, come on, turn that around in Jesus' name. There's freedom for you today. But this king, he said, I'm going to take the head off of Elisha. And he started to really shake his fist at God and say, you are the problem, God. After verse um, 12 in chapter 7 that we went down to, even after the good news was brought to the king that there had been a breakthrough that we'll cover next Sunday, but there had been this incredible breakthrough, the king said, it's a trap. It's a trap. He could not see the goodness of God. Why? Because he was blaming God. He saw God as the problem. And I know we can, you know, Perhaps think when he tore his clothes, you see sackcloth underneath. Oh, that's a good thing. He's humbling himself. No, he had completely the wrong idea about God. He thought he had to punish himself to try to get the goodness of God into his situation. Thank God we don't need to wear sackcloth and ashes. And I know there's a realm of, you know, how to repent before God. I understand that. But we never get the goodness of God operating in our lives by putting ourselves down down and by punishing ourselves. No, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, but we lift God up. We stir things up. We don't punish ourselves. We exalt the name of Jesus. That's how the goodness of God comes through. But here he saw God as the problem and God is never the problem. The fourth point here today that I want to say is this really clearly, steer clear of the cynics. 
steer clear of the cynics. Again, the king and also the officer were saying, this is never going to happen. And the king said later on, it's a trap. It's not going to work. I don't know if you know anybody like that, but I've, I know some people like that. Everything you say that's good, there is always a yeah, but. Yeah, but. I know we talk about this a lot in Citygate Church, but we really know this truth, that who you hang around with is going to be who you become. Who you hang around with is going to be who you end up being like. Their traits will rub off on your life. Now, of course, there's a, uh, an understanding that we're in the world, we're not of the world. And of course, we engage with everybody. But you know what? Those people who are close into your life, make sure they're not the cynics. Ah, yeah, but I prayed and it didn't work. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have that conversation with you and I'm not going to talk to you about it ever again. Why? Because I'm going to go to God's word that tells me that God is going to answer my prayer. But it's really important to steer clear of the cynics. We've covered in this series about how you close the door to certain things. And there are other times in the Bible you close the door to unbelief. You close the door. Well, can I say, put down the phone to the cynics. You know, don't engage with the, yeah, but it's never going to work. Yeah, but even if God made windows in, in, in heaven, there's not going to be a breakthrough. Come on, we need to shut that down straight away. And we need to have our ears open to the voice of, of the Elishas in our lives really, really important. There will always be those who even when the goodness of God is staring them in the face, they don't see it. They just don't see it. Have you ever asked somebody to clean something and then you go and see it afterwards and you think, well, they just obviously can't see dirt because I can still see dirt everywhere. I don't know if you've ever done that. You know, we say, can we dust this or can you clean that? And you go back and you think, oh, I'm going to have to do it again because it's just not done. Well, it's a bit like that sometimes with the goodness of God. You know what? God's goodness can be so powerful and so obvious and some people still see the problem. They still see the challenge. Come on, we need to be those people who see the goodness of God and not just see the problems. I think about the two spies um, who came back and said, yep, there's all these problems, but we can do it. But there was the other 10 spies that said, yeah, there's all the promises of God, but there's a problem. But there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight and that's how we see ourselves. The fifth point today, God only needs a little bit to do a lot. <laughs> I love that about God. Don't you love that about God? Sometimes you think you need to do a lot to get God to do a little bit. This officer who ended up getting you know, sadly dying at the end of the account there, he got completely trampled. He said this, if God was to open up the windows of heaven, he couldn't turn around this situation. You see, some people think this, that for something small to change, God needs to do something huge. But the opposite is true. For something huge to change, God only needs to do a little bit. God can take your small amount and turn it into a huge breakthrough. We've seen that with the oil. We've seen that with other situations from Elisha and through the Bible where just a little bit of oil kept on pouring out. God will take the little bit and turn it into the great. But there are those people who think that God needs to do a lot. Oh, you know what? For God to do something here, God's going to have to move heaven and earth. No, he doesn't. He just needs to speak one word. 
The centurion discovered that. He said, my servant is at home sick. All you need to do is say one word. All you need to do is just say, be healed. And that's it. You only need to do a little bit, Jesus, for this incredible breakthrough to happen in my house. And I want to encourage you today to see this. This is such a powerful truth. You may be facing the greatest challenges of your life that you think are insurmountable, that they are huge mountains. God hardly has to do anything to bring the breakthrough. He just needs to speak one word. There just needs to be a little bit of faith for there to be a breakthrough. Now I know we want to grow our faith into great faith, but you understand the principle here. The tiny little mustard seed, the fact that it's powerful, can grow into this huge tree that's filled with all the abundance of God. God, just one word from God can change your life forever. One prayer can bring the breakthrough that you've been believing for. One word from God, from his scripture, one time of praise and worship, one little thing can make a lifetime of difference in your lives. We need to turn around this mentality. The officer got it completely wrong. He said for this situation to change, it was a big situation, but you get the principle. For this situation to change, God needs to open the floodgates. God needs to pour out so much. And it's like, you know what? No. God is so powerful. One word can change everything. The Bible says God divided the Red Sea just by um, breathing out of his nostrils. That's a strange verse, but it's there. God split the Red Sea by blowing his nose. You could say that. I mean, he just did one thing. And he brought the children of Israel out. God can bring that new job into your life just by doing one little adjustment. Just by doing something, God can bring the breakthrough in your marriage. Now, we know things are a journey. We understand that. But as far as God is concerned, come on, let's see God as the God of power. That God can bring the breakthrough in just here, just in 24 hours. He doesn't need to open the floodgates of heaven. What's the next thing? This is my sixth point now. Walk by faith, not by sight. This is a, a principle all the way through the Word of God. And as a little subsection of this, I've got, are you triumphant or are you trampled? Well, that was dependent on if they walked by faith or if they walked by sight. There was this officer, I know I keep coming back to him, but he really is central to this part of this account here. And the Bible really, you know, goes to great extent here to say this is what happened to him at the beginning of the account. And then at the end of the account, it says it all over again. And as I was going through this passage, I was, I was just thinking of, of the time when the Lord was raised from the dead and he appears to the disciples but one is not there, and his name is Thomas. And so Jesus appears, and then he goes, and then all the disciples, they tell Thomas, and they say, Jesus came. And he said this, unless I put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then, of course, the Lord appears to Thomas, and he says, come on, put your finger in my holes in my hands. Put your hand in my side. He said, do not be unbelieving, but Come on, Thomas, you need to believe. But he says this. He says, you have believed because you've seen. 
Then he says this, very powerful principle. He said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. I'm going to change that a little bit to help us understand. Empowered are those who believe without seeing. Prospered are those who believe without seeing. Healed are those who believe without seeing. You see, sometimes it's easy to think, well, at least everybody ends up believing. So those who believe because they put their fingers in the hands or, or, you know, the ones who believe, you know, and they haven't seen, everybody ends up with the same thing. But that is not true. See, those who believe and it's because they've seen or they've touched or they've felt or they've had the phone call or something has happened to prove something, those who believe because they've seen something end up just, they just believe. It's easy to think that each of those groups of people end up with the same thing. Well, everybody ends up believing. Those who believe because they've seen something and those who believe before they've seen something. But the Bible actually says, no, there are two different outcomes. See, those who believe and it's because they've seen something, they just end up and they believe something. But those who believe and they've not touched it or seen it or tasted it, they've stirred faith on the inside. They don't just end up in the same position where they believe something, they end up empowered. They end up blessed. Blessed are those, not happy, not fortunate, but blessed, empowered to prosper, empowered in that situation. If you can get hold of something by faith and it's not because you've seen it or touched it or tasted it or smelt it or seen it or read or something like that. You believe because you've heard the word of God in your heart you're going to end up empowered. You're going to end up on top. You're going to end up in the victory. You see, this guy ended up and he believed it, this officer, he believed it, but he ended up trampled. He did not receive of the benefit of the blessing of the victory that God brought into that situation. He believed it, but he didn't get any of it. I want to encourage you today to walk by faith, not by sight. There's this officer, he said, I don't believe it. Even if God did this, or God did that, and Elisha said, you're going to see it. And I could say this, you're going to see it, and you're going to believe it, but you're not going to partake of any of it. That's really, really sad. You see, the, this outpouring of God that happened here, this incredible blessing of God was for everybody. Everybody partook of it, except for this guy. And it's because he refused to believe before he saw. And point number seven today, as we draw this to a close, is this. God's word will never return void. It will accomplish the thing that God sends it into and it will prosper where he sends it. That's a passage from Isaiah, but it really encourages us encourages us here today that you know what even in this situation that is absolutely impossible there's no sign of any hope anywhere the things have got so bad but God said it and God is committed to it coming 
to pass. There are so many principles that we've learned today. We've learned about the enemy doesn't play fair. We got to learn from the past. God is never the problem. Steer clear of the cynics. God only needs a little bit to do a lot. Um, it's important that we walk by faith and not by sight. But at the very heart of this is, is this principle. If God says it, then God's going to do it. The Bible's full of this expression, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Why? Because if God says it, you can depend on it. It will come to pass. It will happen just as God says. In the space of 24 hours, just one day, everything changed. They went from famine to abundance. They went from hunger to more than enough. They went from eating donkey's heads and dove's dung, I know there's some debate as to what that is, but whatever it is, it's horrible. And they go from that situation to having all the wealth of their enemy um, being poured in, all the food they needed, there was all the clothes, all the garments, all the gold, all the silver, an absolute turnaround by the power of God. And it's because if God said it, I can depend on it, that settles it. God's word will come to pass. It needs to come out of our own mouths. Elisha said it. Elisha prophesied it. Come on, let's be an Elisha generation. He lived at such a turbulent time. There was armies happening. There was wars happening. There was unrest in the land, all sorts of things going on. But he was consistent in what he said. And no matter what's going on around us, come on, let's declare what God has said. If God has said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, then I'm going to keep saying it. If God says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap, then I'm going to declare it. If God has said in Psalm 112 that your house is going to be filled with all good things, then I'm going to declare it. If God has said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then I'm going to declare it. If God says, I know this situation will turn around through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit according to my expectation, then I'm going to declare it. If God says you're the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, whatever you put your hand to is going to prosper. You'll be blessed coming in and blessed coming out. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. Then I'm going to declare it and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to see it come to pass in Jesus' name. God's word will never return void. Fill your mouth with God's word. Don't be like the officer who said, I'll believe it when I see it. Or even if God did this, nothing's going to turn around. Come on, I'm so excited here. God's word is dependable. God's word is creative. God's word is a healing word. God's word brings deliverance. God word, God's word brings strength. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll divide out your feelings from your emotions, from your will, from that engine of your spirit on the inside of you. God's word will bring healing to your physical body. God's word will bring healing to your emotions. God's word can get into your relationship and bring restoration. God's word will never return void. Words come to pass because they pour out of our hearts. I'm going to encourage you today, and I say this most Sundays, get the Word of God in your heart. Get the Word of God coming out of your mouth and then watch and see what God will do. In this situation, in 24 hours, God brought a turnaround. I'm not going to promise a time scale to you, but I am going to say this. God's 
word will come to pass. Whatever you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, according to God's word, God's going to see to it that he releases his power, whether it takes angels, whether it takes God turning around a nation, God will bring his word to pass in Jesus' name. Come on, there is a breakthrough coming for your life. Are you going to be triumphant or are you going to be trampled? Are you going to come through into the breakthrough with the clothes that they got and the food that they got and the wealth that they got? Apply that into your situation. Or are you going to just see it and not partake of it? That's probably the greatest challenge that I know. See, God's word is going to come to pass, but I want to be right in the middle of it and partake of it and not just watch as everybody else is blessed. Thank God we're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Thank God we're already sons of God. We're daughters of God. We're empowered by God. But the principles are the same. Come on, are we going to be triumphant or are we going to be trampled? God's word comes to pass as we believe it, as we declare it, as we act upon it. We will see the goodness of God in the land of the living, as the word of God says. So come on, let's pray together today, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great God. You're a God of the turnaround. Lord, no matter how desperate, no matter how disastrous things have got, you can bring a word right into the middle of it, Father God, to turn this around. Lord, we, Lord, we close down the cynics. Lord, we stop listening to all of that. Father God, we align ourselves with your word, your plans and your purposes. We put our faith in you today. We put our faith in your word and we thank you, God, for bringing us out into a large place, triumphant in Christ, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, I want to ask you today, have you ever made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? We're talking about here, you know, God bringing a turnaround and, you know, God bringing this incredible victory. But the greatest turnaround is the turnaround of the human heart. The Bible has this word, repent, which, you know, I know has been used so many times and understood in so many ways. But it really means this, change your mind and turn around. That's done by the Holy Spirit speaking to us on the inside and saying, come on, you need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. You need to turn around your life from going that direction away from God and you need to turn your life around and go towards God. You can't do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, but He wants to do something on the inside of you now for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says this, you must be born again. You've got to have a brand new start in life. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And from that moment, your life is turned around and you receive the eternal life of Almighty God. And you know what the Bible says? That means you're going to spend eternity forever with God in heaven, in His glory, in His greatness, the most amazing amazing inheritance we receive from the God who loves us. I'm going to ask you today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why don't you pray this prayer with me now? Why don't you say this? Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love by sending your son to die on the cross to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for paying the price for all of my sin. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. 
I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord, my Saviour and my friend. And by the help of your grace and your power, I will never be the same again. I receive eternal life. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer, God's done a work on the inside of you. There's going to be other steps. You, you know, I'm going to encourage you to get a Bible. Why don't you inform us? Why don't you get on the chat now and tell us what's gone on? We'd love to send you things. I think somebody else is going to talk to you about that in just a minute. But friend, I want to encourage all of us online today. God is the God of the turnaround. Come on, let's come out triumphant, not trampled. Let's come out triumphant in Jesus' name. If we believe it, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God bless you and I'll see you next week.